You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. All right, I think, have, have we had enough of clapping? Probably not. I think it's, it's just awesome to celebrate so many things all in one day, Woo! along with Father's Day. So happy Father's Day once again to all the dads out there. Um, you guys, obviously, we all have a dad, and um, that's awesome. So make sure you phone him or talk to him today. Uh, so let's get down to the Bible. All right, in Luke chapter 8, that's what we were learning about the last few weeks. Uh, it's Jesus has been busy, right? If we recall, he's been traveling. Uh, he's been ministering to people. He's uh, sending demons from a man into a herd of pigs. Um, he's been healing and restoring a woman that was bleeding for 12 years. And he gave life to a young girl that was dead. Wow. The disciples, the 12 disciples were with him the whole entire time. And they had observed how dynamic this guy was, this man that Jesus was. And they had seen him ministering, and they'd seen him preaching and doing all these good things. And so let us continue the story uh, as we read Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 10. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there, or it'll be up on the screen there. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. So Luke chapter 9. And it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet, as a testimony against them. And so they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. He was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear so much, so, hear such things? And so he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. This is the word of the Lord. As it is Father's Day, as we've mentioned a few times, I definitely wanted to thank my dad, among other things, for his skill in packing a car. Um, who, who else, whose dads like really excelled in fitting everything into a, into a family car? <laughs> All right, I think that's a, that's a good dad skill. And so when I was young, our family of four, my mom and my dad and my brother and I, we had a 1983 Toyota Corolla. So not a terribly big car, uh, but my dad welded a hitch onto it so that we could pull a small tent trailer. All right. He's a welder, don't worry. It was structurally sound welding. All right. And, and so in order to pack up everything we needed to go camping for a whole week, uh, there was much skill 
much skill needed to get everything into a car of that slight stature. <laughs> and I'm convinced the strategy, and actually I talked to my dad this morning, and he agreed with me that the strategy that my dad used is that he made sure we all used the exact same bags and backpacks and coolers and boxes that we did last year. And so he knew how it all fit. He knew how everything fit into the trunk, into the trailer, and then every year he just duplicated it. He was just... And closed the trunk. There was never a, a straining to get the trunk to close. It just fit perfectly. It was amazing. I was always amazed at this Tetrising that happened to get everything into there. And so, as I'm a dad now, <laughs> I feel I don't have quite the same packing skills quite yet. I'm, I'm, I, I get there. But I recall when Char and I, uh, my wife Char, went on a, our first ever camping trip as a married couple. <laughs> and between the two of us, we had okay, two people, we managed to barely fit everything we thought we would need for a few days of camping into my car. <laughs> we barely fit everything in there. And we were very idealistic, right, about camping at that point in time. We, we probably said some things like, well, of course I'll have time to read these, these 12 novels that I want to bring along. You know what? I bet we will play the guitar as we sit around the campfire. And you know what? Let's just keep all this new camping equipment in the original boxes in which it came, and we'll just pack that up. It'll be so much easier. <laughs> Thankfully, Shar and I have gotten a lot better at organizing our camping trips. And so I want to thank my wife for, being, for the preparedness in any situation that we find ourselves in. And so here's the story now. When we go camping, as we usually do in the summertime, Shar is the one that usually packs stuff for herself and for the kids. And it takes her a few days for her to get everything organized and packed into bags so that on that last day, I can come home from work and huah, throw everything into the car in the trailer. And literally, I usually throw things. I do not pack things with care. So I still need to pack my own things, though, as well, because Char doesn't pack for me because... I'm a man, I can do that myself. And my packing strategy is this. I take you know, a good solid 10 minutes and quickly throw what I believe I will need in my backpack and then I lob it on top of the pile of stuff that's already in the car and then we leave. And as you might be thinking, yes, this always works and I never forget anything that I ever need. I'm a perfect packer. <laughs> Char is the one who will pack sandals, shoes, flip-flops, rubber boots, winter boots, socks, shorts, pants, long shorts, sweatpants, long underwear, t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, sweaters, hoodies, jackets, rain jackets, and usually winter jackets, along with gloves, toques, chain mail, swords, catapults, trebuchets, and orc fighting pants, and snow pants, all for our summer camping trip. <laughs> she is very prepared, and I love her for it. I... <laughs> on the other hand, <laughs> have forgotten not once but twice to pack anything warmer than a t-shirt. <laughs> so that's how it goes. <laughs> Packing appropriately is, is for the trip, for any trip, right, is important, and we all know this. Being prepared for the journey is important. 
And as we read here in Luke, uh, trusting not in our own abilities, our packing, our, or our own plans, but instead trusting in the God who calls us, empowers us, sends us out with all the things that we need is most important. So let's look at these verses together and first discover a bit more of the context. This passage tells us of Jesus gathering um, his 12 disciples together. All right? He's constantly surrounded by crowds, but it seems obviously that he has chosen 12 men uh, who he has chosen to become his special followers, his special disciples that uh, spend a lot more time than just the regular crowds do. And as much time as Jesus and his disciples, these 12 young men, spent together, I would imagine that there might be possibly time that these young men, these 12 people, went home to see their families, to see their parents, to spend time with them, and they were apart from Jesus, perhaps. And so they have come back together. Jesus calls them together, and Jesus chooses this moment to give them a task. They had been with Jesus for a while, and they had observed and helped him as he ministered to lots of people, and they had heard him preaching to the crowds. They knew his method and message, and now Jesus was giving them the task of going out in pairs, as it tells us in Mark 6, to preach the kingdom and to heal. So it's important to know that Jesus was only one person, right? Yes, he was God, but in the form of man, he could not travel to all the places all at once. And although he had been traveling around and ministering to people, there were probably, there were obviously still more people who had probably heard about Jesus but had never had a chance to meet him. And so Jesus sends his 12 disciples with a specific task. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God and heal people in the surrounding villages of Galilee. And with this task, he gave them specific instructions on how to pack on how to travel. He told them to travel light, to take nothing, all right? No walking stick, no money bag, no extra tunic, no extra clothes. And instead, find people in the villages that will take care of your food and lodging and probably, hopefully, laundry as you go. And so Jesus tells them that if any village won't accept them and the message that they bring that they should recall the words of the, the cultural commentator T. Swift. And she says, And the haters going to hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. I shake it off. I shake it off. Shake the dust off your feet. Thank you, Taylor. And with this, the disciples were off to do the task that Jesus had set before them. Now, in all the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where, the, where Jesus tells of the disciples being sent out, the narrative breaks right there after this story and tells a little bit about Herod, the Tetrarch. And it tells of him being perplexed of Jesus. He wasn't quite sure what to make of this Jesus guy. And so we have to remember that Jesus probably had up-to-date news about what Jesus and his disciples were doing. 
I'm assuming because he was the government of the time. He had people all over, stationed, you know, he had messengers, maybe spies or whatever you want to call them, and they were watching Jesus. They were watching what was happening amongst the people and reporting back to Herod. And as well, as we found out in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, there's a woman named Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who is Herod's household manager that helped provide for Jesus' needs. Now, I would imagine that Joanna and Chusa probably still talked. They were still married and stuff like that. And so word of Jesus' activities would get back to Herod through this grapevine. And so Herod was wondering who this Jesus was. And he was not alone. I think there was a lot of people who were wondering who Jesus was. Now, there was lots of different ideas of who Jesus was floating around the crowds. And obviously, these ideas had reached Herod's ears as well. Had Jesus acquired the spirit of John the baptizer who had recently been beheaded? You know, had the, had the spirit somehow transferred to Jesus? Or was Jesus actually Elijah come back? Or was he a great prophet of old? They didn't really know. The crowds had obviously seen and heard what Jesus was doing. And it, it seems like they all agreed that it, Jesus was a man sent by God. But after that, different viewpoints abounded. And whatever the case was, Herod really wanted to meet Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. He was pr- curious. He was, and perhaps this was just a curiosity thing at first. You know, Jesus was this popular teacher. Herod wanted to meet him. But later on in Luke 13, 31, Jesus is warned that Herod wanted to kill him. And then when Jesus finally does meet Herod, uh, it's the night before Jesus is crucified. And as it says in Luke 23, 8, Herod was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sort of sign done by him. Seems like Herod just wanted to see a magic trick. Herod probably had no interest in, in Jesus' kingdom message, but he just wanted to show And so we rejoin the disciples and Jesus when they come back from their mission trip. And it doesn't really tell us how long they had been away from Jesus. Um, You know, it seems like what I was reading this last week, people had, you know, ideas of maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month, you know. So it wasn't very long, but it was long enough that they, I'm sure that the, the disciples had really good stories to tell. And so they all got back together and they all go to this town called Bethsaida, where they hope they can have some quiet time to relax and share experiences with one another. But, as it happens, a crowd of about 5,000 men plus women and children were meeting for them, waiting for them. So not quite the surprise party that they were wanting, but you'll have to wait till after the summer sermon series to find out what happened next. Da, da, da. What happens next will astound you. It's kind of like clickbait, you know? You read this title and you're like, ooh, interesting. And then there's nothing there. But there is something there, all right? At the end of the summer, there's going to be a wonderful story about these 5,000 people. When we look at the context of these verses in Luke chapter 9, though, we can see that these instructions and events were very specific to this time and place. And so I would say there are things that should stay in that time and place, and we should not necessarily try to copy. We should not feel compelled to leave everything behind and become a traveling evangelist 
We don't need to exit this church right now and start going from town to town preaching and healing with nothing but the clothes that we have on right now. Jesus gave his disciples instructions for that specific time. In Luke 22, 35, when they are having, you know, the Passover supper right before Jesus is crucified, Jesus asked, he reminds them about this trip. And he asks them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they responded, nothing. And he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. The instructions to take nothing with them in Luke chapter 9 were for then only. All right, Jesus tells them to prepare and pack for their next adventure when he speaks to them in Luke 22. When we get to the book of Acts, we find that the apostle Paul is self-employed. All right, he didn't wander around hoping and trusting in the hospitality of others. Now, that did happen, all right, because people are hospitable. Instead, he supported himself by making tents to sell. All right, that's where we, I don't know if you've heard the phrase tent-making ministry, and that's where it comes from. Paul supported himself by doing a trade, by making tents and shelters and whatever else, and, to, and selling them, and that's how he supported himself. And so you could say that he had a rather intense job. And that through it, he could canvas the whole area. It's Father's Day. I had to throw that in there. So. All right. <laughs> I promise that's the last dad joke today. At least here. <laughs> My kids are not off the hook yet. All right. The second point that we should not necessarily follow has to do with shaking the dust off of our feet. All right, Jesus told his disciples to, it seems, to travel quickly from town to town to town. It's perhaps spending, I don't know, if only a few days in each town, and if, and if a town rejected them, to simply shake the dust off from their feet and move on. In a similar fashion, Jews, as a, as a whole, this was something that would have, would have been very clear to the disciples in the time, because uh, when, when Jews would return to their home, after being outside of, of, of their Jewish town or, and stuff like that, they would shake off the Gentile dust from their feet before entering their Jewish town as a sign of not wanting to bring anything unclean with them and separating themselves from the Gentiles. All right, it was kind of, you know, obviously a symbolic thing uh, of being separate from the world, all that sort of stuff. And the disciples were to shake the rejecting town's dust off their feet as a sign that the town was being separated from the kingdom of God because they had rejected that message. And the reason they did this was because Jesus didn't want them to spend more time than necessary in one place. I believe he wanted them to just keep trying and to keep going and to keep preaching and to keep healing people and do that as much as they possibly could in this determined length of time. And so... We should not take this as an excuse to sh stop sharing the good news of Jesus with the people around us if they reject us. And so contrary to this quick and speedy trip through the countryside, Jesus commands his disciples and us by extension in Matthew 28, 
18 to 20. And maybe we're familiar with these verses. They've been called the Great Commission. And it says, And Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So with this great commission that Jesus gave all of his disciples, the apostles in Acts, in the book of Acts, took the message of the kingdom of God all over, all over the known world. And in spite of lots of opposition and rejection, they didn't stop trying. And praise God for that. Now, there is one exception. It is true that in Antioch, the city of Antioch, after facing, must have been pretty intense persecution, and it it tells us that Paul and Barnabas were actually driven out of the district, chased out. They did shake the dust off their feet and carried on in joy to the next place. But later on, they actually returned, and they encouraged and strengthened the disciples that they had made in Antioch. And so it wasn't they just totally, you know, abandoned them. They came back. And so it would be wrong for us to assume that Jesus is telling all of us to be traveling evangelists and to go quickly from town to town and person to person, not really spending any time in any one place. And so how are these verses applicable to us right now? And so as we read these verses, what came to me is that they are a precursor of the events of Pentecost. All right, in Luke chapter 9, the disciples gather with Jesus, and he gives them power and authority, and he sends them out, telling them that they have all they need to do the task at hand. And at Pentecost, the apostles and disciples are all together waiting because Jesus had told them to wait. And we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit came and empowered them and gave them authority to do what Jesus had commanded them to do in the Great Commission. And as they started to live out this Great Commission, God provided for their needs and they grew accustomed to a lifestyle of trusting God to provide for them. And so we come to us today. The Great Commission applies to us today. We are still commissioned to make disciples. The events of Pentecost are still going on. We are still filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are still given power when we come to Jesus. And we have all been called to Jesus. Have you responded to that call? Have you come to him and hung out with him and have your life changed by him? 
If you haven't, Jesus is waiting for you. There's absolutely no entrance exam. There's no prerequisites for us to accomplish. Come to Jesus as you are and, forgive, and accept the forgiveness and the life change that Jesus gives. Now, if he has changed your life, like he changed the lives of his 12 disciples, the Great Commission becomes our command. The Holy Spirit, the same one who empowered the apostles on Pentecost, becomes our power and authority. Jesus sends us out to love our neighbors, to love our co-workers, to love the people we don't agree with, and to love the people that are, are somehow different than us. All right, Think about your, your physical neighbors living on either side of your house. Do you always like them? Do you always love them? Do you always agree with their, their lifestyle or their choices or their choices of music? Anything like that? Probably not. All right, we have on either side of us, we have like a 50 year old bachelor who listens to, to loud you know, music in his backyard and yells at his dog a lot. And on this side, we have you know, a, a single dad and his teenage son comes over sometimes and you know, they're pretty quiet, but they have a yappy dog. Like, doesn't matter. Jesus says to love them. You know, it doesn't matter if we like them or if we agree with them or anything like that. It's a pretty simple command love your neighbor. And so that's what we have been called to do. And just as the disciples were told that they have everything they need to accomplish the task that was set out before them, we have everything we need to love everyone around us. We have been given grace, so let us show grace, give grace abundantly. We have been shown mercy, and let us sh- so let us show mercy to everyone. We've been given joy and love and peace and comfort and kindness, all these amazing blessings through the Holy Spirit. So what should we do with it? We should give it away. We should give it. God is the great giver of amazing gifts. He always has more. Let's give what we have away so we can receive more and give more away. It's pretty simple. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know what kind of people we are, right? I know that I'm kind of a clumsy guy. I'm frail. I'm a sinner. To imagine that God sends people like me out to do his work, it's absolutely breathtaking that he trusts us, that he commissioned us. Yet we know that we have been loved by God and forgiven by God and filled with the Holy Spirit. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 2 to 5, this is his, his letter to the Corinthian church about when he was visiting, when he was starting the church in Corinth. And he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yes, we are weak. (laughs) 
I'll be the first to admit it, but I will also gladly admit that God is strong. God is strong. God is big. There should be nothing that stops us from showing God's love to everyone. Extending forgiveness to everyone and praying for healing and leading people to God so that the Holy Spirit can fill and change them too. So this summer, we're taking a break from the book of Luke to talk about love. Pretty simple. Love. Because Jesus tells us the two greatest commandments ever are to love God with everything we have and to love others as we love ourselves. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for the life change that that I constantly see in myself, Lord. And as I become, hopefully, more like you, Jesus, through the work of your Holy Spirit, I pray that as a church, as the gate right here, this family, this awesome group of people, Lord Jesus, that we would all be open and that you would fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, that you would give us that power and that authority, Lord, to love other people. God, thank you that you equip us with everything we need to accomplish this task because you give us your Holy Spirit. God, May our eyes be focused on you, and Lord, may our hands and feet and our bodies be focused on loving people around us all the time. God, thank you that you forgive us freely. Thank you that you forgive us and give us grace all the time. And I pray, Father, that we would be so willing to share that love and that mercy and that grace with people around us. It doesn't matter who they are. I pray, Father, that we would see them as people made in the image of God. Thank you, Jesus. God, as we respond to this in worship, we pray that our, our hearts would be lifted up and that we would lift you up and that we would be, be open to what you are saying to us. In your name we pray, amen.